The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Hello and welcome to Malden 02148. I'm your guest host this evening, Ed Lucy, and my guest, and the guest here for uh, 02148 is State Representative from Malden, Mr. Say it again? Steve Altrino. Steve Altrino, yeah. Yep. You know, Steve, um, you said, yeah, you, um, you've been, what, fourth term? This is my fourth term, yep. yeah. And you've had experience. On the school committee, you were elected initially with the school committee. Right. You also were a city councilor. Correct, yeah. And currently the state representative from Malden. Right, most of Malden. Yeah, that's true, and we'll yep. get a little explanation on that uh, as we go along. But uh, you had a life before you got elected to public office, uh, and you were in the field of administration in the schools? Yes, education. Yeah. Yeah, I... Um, First started education uh, over 20 years ago as a classroom teacher and then became a school principal and then worked for the sheriff's office as the education and uh, uh, director. So, and I teach uh, a few classes in the college level now. So, you, so uh, you've got a broad background. The, yeah. um, the, the thing is, it, you mentioned uh, Malden's representative and, of course, uh, that goes back to the fact that I was just asked earlier before the show started how many state representatives are there, and there's 160. Correct. And there uh, used to be at 240. Yes, when you were there, right? That's why I'm not there any longer. Right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons. Yep. But but, uh, but uh, the th for, for the public, um, since there's 160 representatives, you divide this, uh, the state up by 160 districts. And, right. And that's a, uh, how many people approximately in an average district? Um, now with the new census numbers, it's about, um, you can have between 44 and 48,000, okay. plus or minus 5% right. by constitution. And uh, since Malden has over 60,000 people, that means... 69 now, yeah. according to the last census. So it ends up that uh, you represent most of Malden, but About then, 70%. Yeah. yeah. And then you have um, Paul... Donato represents some of Malden, and we have a state representative from Melrose who represents one precinct, which is Forestdale. Right. Which is not unusual, but also confusing. It is very, it is very confusing, and it's even more confusing this year. Um, and I know the city clerk was pulling the rest, of whatever left he had for here, uh, out because you can only have four thousand um, residents per precinct, and because I split some precincts with Rep Donato or Rep Lipper Garabinian, we had to create sub-precincts. So, for example, in Ward 7, where you reside, we have 7 1, 2, 3, and 3A. And 3A, the reason we did that is because I would represent part of that because we can't split the precinct because you have. If you were in, say, Ward 7-3, which is new, you would have, say, Rep. Altrino on the ballot. If you were in 7-3A, you would have Rep. Donato on the ballot. So we had to make sure we split the precinct so we know which ballot to give you. And so is is it the two, so the 7-3 has two different reps? Can't. Um, no, but um, so let me see, 7 no, seven, uh, yeah, I believe seven three. We just got the the thing. I believe I have seven three A and Rep Donato might have seven three and seven two, and I have seven 
He has seven one, and I think I have seven three a the way it's cut out. So I it's, have Suffolk Manor. Well, that's yeah. That's that's another interesting yeah. thing. Um, of uh, course, that's a, that's a complication created when you do the census because you have to realign in terms of the population. But right. it's, as it happens at the national level, at, at the national level, um, for basic story in in, in politics, uh, every state regardless sizes two senators. Right. But the number of Congress people depends on the population, and in this in this uh, particular census, obviously, what happens is state. Gain people uh, right. in terms of Congress and others lose to make up right. the we, fact. We were fortunate we gained, but what, 10 years ago we lost a seat, correct? Yeah, so yeah. Well, uh, and actually I think probably if you went back further than that, we lost, uh, uh, we used to have, uh, well, are we down to nine? Nine, we had 10 as, as long as I yeah. can remember, but. And yet, uh, but more than, and you had more than that before that. Did you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we, um, it, it's, 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 um, it's tough for, the good thing in our district you know, I didn't lose or gain any houses. So it, there were very, very few where 10 years ago they said, oh, I was in the 33rd middle six, I'm now in the 32nd. Uh, so that was good. So we didn't, we created precincts, but we didn't move anyone away from their state rep. Where other city, other state reps lost parts of cities um, and stuff. So we grew. I think I added about four or 5,000 constituents. I'm at the max, according to um, uh, the speaker's office. Um, but I didn't lose really any constituents. So that was good. So, you know, I got to learn all the precincts again. But if you had me before, chances are you have me again. Well, we, we grew so much in Ward 4 and 8. Yeah, the um, from just that comment you made earlier, mm -hmm. I um, I live around the corner from Suffolk Manor, right? And um, that was my. In fact, I think Paul Donato was a state representative at that precinct before. I've had Suffolk Manor for the last ten years. He had the ferryway, oh, so I'm sorry. all of Ward One and part of Woods was seven two, was at the ferryway, and I had Suffolk Manor, which was. Seven one at okay. the time. All right. Well, then. I, I, but they're moving another precinct of seven to the Salemwood School because which they is can't me. fit. Yeah. And even though, I, uh, again, because what happens is you get, con and it gets confusing, and it, it sometimes it's a shock on election. They would people yeah. will show up routinely going where they yeah. voted before, in spite of the fact you have public announcements, you have right. TV announcements, you have. Um, Letters that go out from the city yeah. advising people to change invariably it will happen as people routinely go back to where they voted the previous years. Yeah. And when they walk in, they, they, first of all, the the person gets a, a blank look when they give them the address, and they advise them, "You don't right. vote here now." And all of a, and that's happening to me Wood, because I voted the Salem board of the next election. Right. And Ward Three will be interesting because it's one building, the BB School. So we have Ward Three, One, Two, Three, Three A because I split that with Rep. Donato. Right. So when you go into the BB school, you really don't know if you, you – chances are you knew if you were 3-1 or 3-2, because that was general practice. But now are you 3-3 three, three or 3-3A, three, three so I would think the clerk is going to have to have a sheet that when you come in, you say, no, no, I'm being always 3-1. Well, not anymore. What's your street? Oh, one, uh, No, you're 3-3A. Three, three What's 3-3A? Three, three and you vote down the hallway. So – at um, least you're in the same building. At least you're in you the same building. Yeah. Because uh, I happened to be down in, in Suffolk Manor at the last election, and yeah. there, there was some uh, some change. I don't I forget exactly what exactly it was. And, I, I was, and while I was there, there were um, some pe a couple of people came in, and they they didn't vote there. Mm. And now whether they had moved and they were in Ward Seven but not in the same precinct, yeah. or whatever, and it ended up. They had apparently walked to the precinct and didn't have a didn't have a car with oh. them, and it was uh, after uh, close to seven o'clock. And whether they had time restrictions or whatever, they, they, it turns out since they couldn't vote there, it ended up they made an, in a reaction was gee we won't be able to go and vote this time because we we haven't got the car in right. which case they they didn't so yeah. uh, this will be more confusing and it will unfortunately yeah the advantage though maybe is that um since it's a state election the, the, the there will be a tendency 
to have a higher vote turnout than it would be in a city primary election, in which yeah. case at least people will become acclimated to it. Although last year, um, it, it was it was in the presidential election, it was helpful there was a primary because there were a lot of kinks that they had to get out of the, right. the paper ballots. I know Medford had a comp problem with Medford that. Medford had a problem. Yeah. You know, Malden, you know, knock on wood, um, you know, a lot of people voted by mail, and I'll tell you, they did a fantastic job just throwing it together so Be- quickly. And uh, so, but, you know, uh, we went from 16 precincts, I think there are now 24. There are. And so that's a lot more... Um, you know, employees, day of the ballot. So if anyone's looking to work the primary or, you know, contact the clerk's office because he will be struggling to uh, hire some more uh, folks to work the polls. Right. And, and uh, in fact, as we now mentioned it, um, if you have like a Ward 3 and a Ward 7 where you have an A and a B, mm-hmm. there's, there's even more than 24 precincts because that would be four instead of three. So let's see. There's three in every – so there's at least three. Right. Right. So eight times three is 24, 25, 27. Okay. Because only three wards have an A precinct. So, okay. So 27 – that's from 16 to 27. That's a hell of a lot of uh, – That's 11. Yeah. And, and, and I forget it. When you add it all, you have uh, – and that's a long day. And, oh, yeah. And, and – um, it's uh, confusing enough sometimes, depending on the weather, depending on the um, uh, ballot itself, right. and of course, when you get to November, sometimes you have referendum questions, and right. and Marlin being a very diverse community now, that there's a language barrier sometimes, Correct. so you have to, and you know, uh, factor in that sometimes in hiring people, you're looking for people that are bilingual. Right, and they have been uh, adding more and more. All the signs are required, right. but uh, they're also looking for bilingual individuals right, to work yeah, the polls, yeah. at least to check in. Yeah, you know? yeah. Now, um, <clears throat> in, in your tenure at the State House, um, you're, you're on committees. I am. And uh, some of the committees, if I recall, are, are, are the important ones. Is it education that you're on? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the new speaker, Ron Mariano. I was promoted to vice chair of the Joint Committee of Education. And I was also placed on Ways and Means. Which is the, uh, the money, money one, which is yep. a, probably the most important, maybe. Yeah, one of the, to- yeah the mo- one of the busiest, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, healthcare finance, I've been on since day one. That's a very busy committee. Right. And I, uh, the Joint Committee on Labor and Workforce Development. So uh, that is one that I've always continued to ask to stay on, too. Yeah. Uh, but when I first started, I was on elder affairs and election laws. and But um, we tend to be on four committees, unless you're a chairperson. Um, but I was uh, very fortunate to be um, elevated by the speaker. Um, the, the Joint Committee on Education is ex- extremely important, especially as an educator. So to be promoted to that vice chair, it was just... Uh, I, I thought gr- great opportunity. Well, a compliment too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, we the speaker came in mid session as the uh, last speaker re- retired, and um, so we'll see. You know, the um, uh, just for clarification, when you say joint committee, yep. ex- that's both the Senate and the House. That's correct. So yeah. any joint committee. Uh, Ways and Means is not a joint committee. The Senate has theirs. We have our House has ours. So joint committee is is a chair from the Senate chair, and the chair on the Senate side for education is Senator Lewis, who is the chair uh, the senator in Malden. Right. So Malden has pretty good representation on that uh, joint committee. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, the where we're at where were you? What's the status of the budget for this year? The budget so, year starts July first. Right. So the House passed, we passed our version um, in April, right before April vacation. And the Senate just released theirs on May, what's today, the 11th? Is today the 11th? Could be. Yep. Yep, (laughs) it is. And they released theirs on the 10th. So they will be debating their budget the last week of May and finish up right before Memorial Day weekend um, by a day or two after Memorial Day, we'll form a conference committee where there'll be three senators and three representatives chosen by the Speaker and the Senate President. And they, those six members will hash out the final budget. And what they do uh, for those viewers is they will release a conference committee report. 
you probably remember those back in the day, but in a conference committee report, they will submit one compromise bill. You cannot amend that. So if I say, gee, I don't like that they added this line item, I'm going to file an amendment. You cannot. Well, they left something out that you were sponsored. Right. <laughs> and um, so you can only vote it up or down. Um, but we've been lucky in the House. We only have 155 members. Five members have left during their term. It was um, unanimous. Um, so over the last few years, we've been uh, able to have bipartisan uh, budgets, and we've been fortunate to have good revenues, so everyone was able to get what they want. Some Within know, reason. Within reason, yeah. <laughs> and um, we've been fortunate here in Malden, and um, we're, our budget ended at about $49.6 or so. And the Senate's about $50 billion, I think. Uh, about 49.8, yeah. 49.9. And then, you know, we'll come to a consensus. There is policy in the budget. As you know, you can put policy in. The House version um, does ban child marriage, which you, you're very close to many zonchins. Um That's a big thing for child marriage. And um, for zonchins, we added that in the House side of the budget. The Senate did not. Um, but there's reasons, and, and you know from your years of politics, you know, people will come to me, you didn't add this in the House budget, and it's in the Senate or, or in a bill. Right, because we use that to negotiate in the conference committee. So the conference committee might say to the House, how important is child marriage? Oh, it's very important. Well, this is very important to us. What are you giving us? And um, so that's how the negotiations go, but there's... This budget, and I don't know if that's one of your questions you want to ask me, this budget actually really invests a lot in social services, housing, health care, um, early childhood, uh, education, uh, education in general, the highest Chapter 70 we've seen. Um, so, you know, we're fortunate, and we're also expecting by the end of June 30th, July 1st, we'll have about 13% um, in our rainy day account, which is historical. Um, you know, as you know, it's cyclical. And if we come on hard times at some point, uh, we'd have our rainy day. The bonding companies like that, as you know. And um, so we've been, we've been trying to build that up and for the day that we do get a rainy day and w when we won't have to cut services as much. Yeah, you know, you you mentioned that uh, early marriage uh, law that the, 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 child the, marriage, yep. the, the house passed. I think if you ask the average person, they'd be uh, very surprised to find out that at this time in life here in the Commonwealth, it's possible for someone fourteen years old to get married, right, with, with parental parental, parental consent. consent. And from what you know, um, from what I've learned a lot from is. There are various reasons for ch child marriage. Some are cultural, some are financial, uh, some are predatory. And uh, the, pr the problem with that is, of course, a parent will sign that because it could be for a financial reason. Um, what we also added to that, and this was Rep. Donato's amendment, was if, say, they get married at 14 and at 16... Um, the, the woman would like to file for a divorce. She's still not of age. So therefore, she can only get permission now from her spouse. And if it's an abusive marriage, which uh, studies have shown that one of the reasons for a divorce at that young uh, would be f because of abuse, whether emotional, physical, or what have you, um, how would that person get out of it? So we added that parameter that they'd be able to file, um, you know, uh, as their own person. So it's a very intricate um, detail. It's, it's a lot of legal parameters to it. But Has that bill been filed in recent years? Yeah, it's been filed over the last at least two terms. And uh, is this the first time it actually passed the House? Yes. So It, it passed it's the Senate already in legislation. Oh, it has? Yeah. That, when you say that, that's in prior years? 
it, actually, this session, I believe it passed in the Senate as well. Oh, so that, that, then that would presume to suggest that uh, the Senate it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a mulligan, literally. It's, it's an automatic almost. Uh, right, to be and I think that's law. one reason why the Senate, and I don't know, I'm guessing, that's yeah. one reason why the Senate might have just said, ah, we'll leave it out and we'll talk about it. And, um, but it's, you know, it, regardless if it's a standalone bill or an outside section of the budget, it would be law. So yeah. the, the um, that's you know again that's another thing that um, is the type of thing that people don't realize. Actually, there's there's some instances that uh, the social obligations and the social uh, complications in people's lives beyond just the uh, getting through the average day and doing what you can do legally and, and what you what you're. It's right amazing, to. you know, uh, and I get a lot of calls on advocating for this bill or that bill. And they said, well, just pass it. It's just, and I said, well, first of all, you got to find out if it's constitutional. Yeah. You know, I said, second of all, you have to see who it affects. They're, you know, whether it's economic, whether it's social, whether, you know, whatever. Um, but there are legal parameters to it. It's just not, you know, that's why legislation, as you know, takes so long. Because it, it, it's just not like you're passing this paragraph is law. It could affect so many other things. And we have to take that into consideration. And that's why it goes through committee, through ways and means, through legal counsel, through third reading, and, and then negotiated. Because we also talk to the attorney general, um, secretary of state, or the auditor, whatever it is, to make sure that when it's passed, it's not overturned in some legal way. Which sometimes it is. It is, Even yeah. with all that research. Yeah. Right. Um, they're also just passed into law um, legalized betting, off-track betting, but it's a betting. Nope. Uh, they did not. It's not in. It's not legal, because the House passed two ver two. We passed it in the House twice, last session and this session. The Senate uh, just passed within a week or so their version. It's n so we just formed a conference committee. There's a lot of differences in it. Well, there was a lot. Yeah. Well, one of the complications I know is that in, uh, some of the motivation is, uh, I, I think, probably as a practical matter, is that others, there's a lot of other states already have it. Right. And the, th the rationale is, well, if Massachusetts residents are going to be legal, uh, able to bet, let's say, on, on uh, off-track form on the telephone or whatever, then um, why not let Massachusetts get the right. benefit of the revenue? Mm -hmm. But then... Um, the other states, uh, for the most part, as I understand, they allow betting on college football and basketball. Massachusetts, your bill, I don't think the allows House bill that. does. Right, the, the House, House bill, bill does, does allow it. It does allow it. And Senate doesn't. The Senate doesn't. With the House bill, um, so in our version, you know, and again, this is not set in stone because it depends on conference committee. If it even makes it out, so we allow up to five licenses. You would have three licenses at the casinos. Uh, uh, plain, in Plain Ridge, uh, MGM, and then Encore. Then we would have two online ones, like a DraftKings type thing. We would allow college betting. We would not allow you to bet on the athlete in college. So Ed Lucy, who's playing for UMass basketball, he's going to score 32 points in the next season, and we don't allow that. Other states do? Some states do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and every state's different. Um, and then we also have a tax. And then the way the tax is split up is the state, the city. And then if, for example, you're betting on Boston College and they're at home and they're playing Notre Dame in, in uh, football, if $50,000 worth of bets are on that game, the college would get 1% of the revenue, and that revenue would go towards uh, athletic um, safety and, and stuff like that, um, whether it's concussions, whether it's um, uh, any type of player safety. Uh, I haven't read through the entire Senate bill. Of course, that's not in it because they do not want. I think they allow a few more licenses, but, you know, sports betting, I sat next to the chair of economic development, and when she went, we we we're very similar to New Jersey betting, 
So we're about 70% of their revenue. So they went out to New Jersey. How's it work? And like even before when casinos, I wasn't in the house then. You know, how's this work and how's that? So the thing about taking our time is we learn from mistakes. Like marijuana. We spent a lot of time, not me, in Colorado, and Colorado came out to us. And they would say, if you were to make it legal, don't do this. This does not work. But this works. So that's good to learn from other states. Um, so that we've done a lot. And I don't know if the revenue is going to be as high as people think, um, but maybe it'll take some time. Um, but there are a lot of, you know, we have to hire statisticians to study if a game's being thrown, like Vegas. We have to we have to hire people in the attorney general's office, the auditor's office, and who will oversee this? The lottery. Um, our version says the gaming commission will oversee this. So it's not just like let's flick on the switch, because we have to make sure that there are parameters in place. Do you take credit cards? Credit cards and gambling could be very dangerous, as you know. Um, will it affect the lottery? Will it affect the casinos? Because, you know, there's only so much money to go around the gambling. Are you going to bet the Bruins game or are you going to go to Encore and play roulette? Okay? Um, so it, it's not as easy as people say. Um, but I think, and the speaker, um, he did a very good job with it, I have to admit. And I'm not sure, and I'm just talking out of school, I'm not sure he's willing to compromise the college part because it may not be worth it financially if we did not include college betting. Well, you can have but, some corollary, corollary uh, situations. Years ago, I, I was talking to someone the other day, we, we, the um, uh, bingo came up. Mm. And at one time in Malden, um, there were 13 bingo games a week. There were two each night except for Saturday when there was one. And I think that the reason there was only one for Saturday was because one of the local churches had a huge turnout. But there was MC, well, Mall right. Catholic had a big bingo. That Two was of them. a good source of revenue. And, and uh, there were church groups. They were yep. fraternal groups. And in any event... Um, How many are left now? One, two? I believe one. And, right. and uh, it's been attributed, supposedly, to some degree, into the maybe the habits of people and... The, uh, more important than that, and it would have been a. It certainly would have been a factor for the last two years with the coronavirus. Oh, of but course, yeah. When when Keno came in, there was a distraction for people that not to wait for bingo that night. They could go go down to the right. local, and and they attribute, I think, some of the, the the eventual erosion of the of the attraction for for bingo was the, the introduction of Keno. So the state gained right. money from the Keno. And lost it on the bingo. So uh, with the bottom line more, perhaps, because more people, uh, the demographics of people playing bingo would be different than the ones who went to the bingo. Yeah. But the reality is it wasn't the panacea that people expected. You get it all from before, and you right. also get a new source. Right. But, you know, I was in Catholic education for 12 years. Yeah. I, I was a student in Malden Catholic. The bingo, I remember I <laughs> was a going into my junior year, we got a new headmaster. And times were tough at MC. Our enrollment was very low. And um, so he came in and opened up a Sunday bingo. You would think, you know, he just took the Catholic school mentality and threw it out the window. No one's going to come to bingo on Sunday. It's at 12 o'clock. Packed, right? And that money from bingo, and they, they ended up becoming one of the largest bingos in the state, that was all the financial aid money. Like parents would work towards it. Students were assigned. And at that time, there was smoking still allowed. Well, I was just so going to say, <laughs> then you had, when they had the bingo, then you had implemented no smoking uh, well, or that segregated hurt. it. Yeah, and yeah. that came, I forget when no smoking came along. But I remember as a kid, you know, 14, 15 years old, and I wouldn't eat, and bingo didn't start till it was a Tuesday night till like 5 or 6. I'm getting out of school, too. They're pushing me out of my desk because that was their lucky spot. <laughs> but you know what? It, it So now they have donors that could make up for that. But some of your local churches, synagogues, the IA, the Irish American used to have a big bingo and that paid for their scholarship funds. You know, so it's so but anyway, sports betting, it's on the docket. Um, there's a there are big differences between it, so let's see what the conference committee comes with. Yeah. Mm. Um we talked a little bit earlier uh, about the uh, status of uh, the statistics relative to the, the numbers of reps and so forth. This year's a state election. Yeah. 
And just from my <coughs> own observation, it seems like it's a quiet event that no one's, you know, granted it's not till November, uh, but it just seems that the, for, uh, for an open seat for governor, yeah. And for uh, uh, some of the, there's an open seat for a treasurer. And auditor, secretary of state. Uh, well. Oh, no, you mean open. No. Yeah, yeah. Deb Goldberg's running again, so right. treasurer. Yeah. Uh, Galvin's running again. Right. But Suzanne Bumpirata is not. No, I'm sorry. That's yep. auditor, yeah. And and, um, and, and yet um, it doesn't seem like there's, a, in fact, I think there's only uh, two Democrats running for governor, and that's. A, a yeah, there's like six running for lieutenant governor. That seems to be the hot spot, but. Uh, right. For there's um, Mara Haley, our Attorney General, and then Sonia Chang Di as a Senator from Boston. Right. There's not been a lot of chatter. I think people. This is my own personal opinion. Are still so focused on the federal stuff, the economy, uh, inflation, the war in Ukraine, um, that you know, gubernatorial candidate. Hello, hello. We're uh, running an election here, and it's an important one because it's an open seat, and your two-term governor is not running, and um, I'm not sure many people pay attention to an auditor's race, even though it's a very important job. Lieutenant Governor, five or six candidates. I think only about 20 to 25 percent of the legislature has an opponent. That's House and Senate. Um, but you're right. It, it just doesn't – I don't see it on the front page of the Globe or – No, know, and as a matter of fact, uh, as an extension of that, we're not going to uh, – uh, that it, even t to be on the ballot, you mentioned like six. When you have the uh, state convention, the, the meeting of the Democrats to, to endorse somebody mm -hmm. as a party person, the other people are eligible to run in a primary even if they're not endorsed by the by the convention, right. provided they get a, a minimum number of votes. Was it 15%? 15%. So with six people, not all of them, even if they were viable candidates, are going to be on the ballot because they won't be getting the 15% that's required. Right, right. And I'm going in, you know, you mentioned the deli the um, convention in June. You know, I go to the convention every year except COVID. And they're like, and I was always pumped because I'd get calls as a delegate. But I haven't gotten any calls. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't remember what date it is. It's like, I'm not pumped, you know. And it's not because I don't, there's no one I, there's someone I don't support or whatever. It's just that, again, everyone's focused on something different. Um, but yeah, you, know, you make a good point. Um, but it is very important race, Governor. It's a very well. Now I'm going to. I'm going to. No brought, matter who you vote for, it's important. Um, I'm going to. Uh, I mentioned this in the prior show, and and okay. I'm not asking for your uh, yeah. uh, support or whatever. But um, I, I in that comment is that. Um, if you look at Massachusetts, I think we have either five or six of the 40 members of the Senate are Republican. I think three. Down to three? Mm -hmm. I know there was a couple maybe left for a job other opportunities. So there's only three. Three. O only three senators are Republican. That's correct. There's, I think, less than 30 Republicans. 29 and one independent. Okay. So there's 110 approximate Democrats if it's a full House, and there's 30 approximately uh, Republicans or thereabouts. For it. So... Massachusetts has become a one-party state. And the, the, the point that I had made in a prior show was that, uh, and it's a long memory going back that far, but... Uh, you have it still in your... Uh, Eddie Markey, when he ran for Congress, mm. there were uh, about six or seven people running at that time, one of whom was a state senator. Uh, there was a second candidate who was a state representative and eventually became mayor of Revere, and a couple of, and there was the uh, chief of staff for uh, Toby McDonald, who had passed away, who was a congressman. He right. was in that race. Joe Crokin, and he had to come in late because of the, uh, the circumstance related to uh, to uh, uh, Toby McDonald's passing. But that ultimately, since they were all Democrats, there was a primary. Eddie Mack, he got a little better than 20% of the vote. Yep. All of the other candidates were eliminated because it was party endorsement of the of the candidate at that time. Okay. And uh, since then, uh, Kennedy was a congressman in the and ran in the last election for senator, and there were a, a comparable to like the situation with Ed Markey. There were a bunch of people running, several of whom were qualified. The winner who was nominated in a primary was uh, got a little better than 20% of the vote. And since 
it's a, it was a democratic state, and it, that was a tantamount to being elected after getting the primary. Yeah. Um, in the state of Georgia, I'm giving you a lot of numbers, but if you follow this through to the end, um, this state has a single slate of candidates that run for a statewide office or okay. a Senate office. And the rule in that state is, is, and there's some other states as well, is in order to be qualified as a nominated person uh, or elected person because it's only one slate of office, doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or unenrolled, you run on one slate, that you have to get 50% or more of the votes in the primary. If yep. you don't get yep. that, then the top two candidates run run in the in the, in the November election. A runoff, right? Is that what they do? Yes. Yeah, I think there are a few other states well, have Let that. me qualify it. It ends up that the it, it's in the... Uh, November election, you got to get fifty percent. And it, what happened in Georgia this past, and it's, it's been, it's it's much more uh, serious than it, even than the fact that it's a different type of an election. The candidate who was uh, sitting in the Senate Senate seat at that time was a man named Purdue. He got forty nine point seven percent of the vote, but since he lacked the fifty percent of the total. He had a run. They had a special election in in January, and and uh, for whatever reason, I think uh, part of the fact it may have been that um, Trump told the people not to bother to vote because they were stealing the election anyway. I mean, it was uh, bizarre. It ended up it's a thought of as a as Georgia was a, as a Republican state. The Democrat won. Yeah. And the fact that that Democrat won that state was the fiftieth vote for the Senate. Democrats, which right. means that both uh, both Georgia senators, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so I've suggested that in, in in a prior show that since it's a one party state here in Massachusetts, I think that the public would be benefited if it were a single slate. We we bypass the party designation, and if you use the using the fifty percent rule, then at least um, you might have a choice in November. Mm. And uh, Anyway, that's my— That's a constitutional change, right? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. I didn't know whether that would be that. I'd have to check that, yeah. but if it's a constitutional change, it could— Oh, it'll it come very complicated. It would have to go two years in the—get two-thirds in the House and then ballot initiative, all that stuff, and yeah. then vote it, and so yeah. it's a— And it's hard to get two-thirds in a situation where you jeopardize someone who's running unopposed every two years. <laughs> well, you know, I—and I'm not—and I don't mean to get up, but you were one of those who— Voted at the time when the House went from 240 to 160. So wouldn't you think that would be a tough vote to say, geez, we're eliminating 80 of our seats? Well, right? what happened, just as a, again, that's a, that was, a, that was a, um, a referendum question. Right. And, um, and, then it, um, and at the time, what happened was if you talked to the average person on the street, they would tell you they liked the person who was their state representative, but there was a negative perception of the of the of the uh, house particularly in, in at the state level and and i supported that as a private citizen the reduction of the house and i had someone tell me at the time ed what you're going to find out is even if it passes which is probably going to pass you won't save money you know if you eliminate 80 jobs which you think is going to save you money in reality it won't because what's going to happen is that because you have larger districts with less people representing the the public, it needs more staff, and right. that's the first thing that happens is you have more people on that's going to be rep replacing the uh, the elected officials with administrating people, and the other thing is with less people in in the house, uh, you would end up having more centralized power of the speaker because there'd be less people he'd have to influence. Because For the vote, it, yeah, and and so in reality, that's what happened. Yeah, good and point. And, and that was in 1972 or so. No, or? it it would have it, it it the um, the election of uh, 77 was the 77. Uh, 76 was the 77 was okay. the last or well, 77 I guess and 78 mm -hmm. was the last uh, 240, and th and that's what actually did happen. The the size of the staff in the House and the Senate has mushroomed since then. And the speaker has become more controlling because uh, they have not only expanded on the uh, this committee assignments, but it, it, in those days, the only person to get an extra stipend was the, uh, uh, other than the speaker, would have been the uh, chairman of Ways and Means. Right. And then since then, they've allowed uh, vice chair of I guess of all the committees plus other people get extra stipends, and so vice chairs up. Yeah, yep. and so it ends up that. Uh, 
very few people just get the sixty-five thousand or whatever. That's the that's the salary of the rep. Um, most of them get one form or another get an extra amount of money. So. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, from vice chairs up, floor leaders, division, you know. So now I'm going to assign you the responsibility to go and get how many hundreds of thousands of signatures to, to change the rules. Yeah, you can go work on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, one other thing, well, just briefly, if we could continue on with sure, the state level. you tell me, yeah. Um, uh, no, without picking apart the thing. What's kind of interesting, it's such a Democratic state at every level, literally. There's very few Republicans. There are some independent or unenrolled people that hold office. But uh, the Republicans have had some success electing a governor. Yeah, from well gone. Yeah, and um, and in in Charlie Baker's case, he's been a popular person. Some surveys have suggested over the years that he's he's been the governor that he's most, if not the most popular Republican or the most popular governor in the country. He's the second or third. He's up there all the time. But he's not very popular in his own party. No, that's hence, a very valid hence point. Hence why my conspiracy theory yeah, yeah. is in the primary, if he were to run for a third term, which yeah. is unprecedented now, yeah. uh, you know, would he, I think he would have won the primary. I agree. But I think it would have been a lot tougher I agree. Uh, and I'm not sure. He says, you know, I'm 65, 66 years old. You know, a lot of governors take a big cut in pay. Look at Deval Patrick was a big wig lawyer. Took right. a cut in, Charlie Baker was making millions in Harvard <laughs> Pilgrim. And I think maybe at his point, he's like, I did what I had to do. I'm yeah. not sure I want a nasty primary. I think he would have been won a third term. Right. But I think, you know, in the primary – you attract a certain voter on but. both sides of the aisle. And I wonder, he must have polled it. I'm sure he did polling. And I said, maybe he said, yeah, yeah. not worth the fight. And I'll spend time with my family and go do consulting and make 10 times the amount but. I'm making as governor. So, well, the, But the other part about that from my own perspective, uh, perception, is that He's been, in recent years, been a Teflon governor. There's been some serious issues that have occurred in the state. And for some reason, uh, he's been able to separate himself from the problem. Usually, if you're the governor or certainly the, it's show, you're showing up here in Washington with the president, mm. the buck stops at the top. And if you, if you don't always get credit for what the good things you did, you're certainly going to get criticized whether you, uh, uh, the reason that something happened or didn't happen. And I think in Charlie Baker's case, in recent years, there have been quite a f- few issues that have surfaced. And some or other, he's been able to kind of dodge the bullet, so to speak. And, and if it's mm. been a problem, it hasn't been a, a major problem. And, and you know, look at all the things that have gone on with the state police and, yeah. and he, it, since he's been in office. And th- other things that have happened where... Um, uh, the, the whole Yo Veterans Home, that was an issue that I, th- I thought deserved a lot more criticism and a lot yeah. more attention. And they have a, they hired a law firm that whitewashed it, I think, that did a research, or some attorney was in some sort of a uh, hired by the state to look into it, to investigate it, and they really didn't put in the whole thing. And then on top of that, when uh, the, the uh, director came under fire for Le- Bennett Walsh, legitimately... There was a lot of criticism, and it turns mm. out as more and more unraveled, he, he was like incompetent and, and, and really not fit for the position. Right. And, and then he, the governor said he didn't, he never met him. And it turned out well, he had met him and had a half an hour meeting with him shortly before yeah. he was uh, appointed. I guess the media didn't, was pretty good, pretty easy on him then. And maybe because he's a likable person, and right. overall you can give him credit for a lot of things that have gone on, and the very fact that perhaps uh, he's able to work with a vast majority of Democrats to get done He things. has to in this state. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. like uh, Hogan in Maryland and uh, the governor in Vermont, they're not, if they were really reactionary to the right, right. or, in, you know, someone in a Republican state being a Democratic governor, they, they know they're not going to get anything done because we also have veto-proof majority. Yeah. But, you know, he, he's... You know, he can he has the best of both worlds. He can say, Well, this is my bill and all that and blah 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 and then we pass it and he says, Well, I'm against this and I'm gonna veto this. Well well, guess what? We're gonna override it. Well, at least he can say he vetoed that. Yeah. yeah. And then see the bill through. So he has the best of both. Yeah. Um but you know, um 
Patrick had his issues with the legislature, even though he's a Democrat. And from when I, I was, I came in with Charlie Baker, actually, at the same yeah. election. So, but I think the media helped Baker out. And then COVID took over and he had, you know, uh, we've learned from a lot of our mistakes. Um, but I think he had that calming personality. Um, he had support from the legislature. And, um, you know, what I, not all of them, but a lot of his cabinet level people, good people, you know, his Secretary of Health and Human Services, Secretary Satters, you know, I, I think the world of her. Really? Uh, yeah. You know, I was just going to. But yeah. she, but she was in part. She was involved with that that Holyoke uh, Veterans Home because she was the uh, one that theoretically appointed Bennett Walsh to the the, the Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure it was her decision. Well, it might have been her final well, decision, but I'm not sure if it was told to her that who was going to get that. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, but when it came to, you know, talking about healthcare facilities, you know, what, you know, how we were going, we started from nothing. And, you know, um, she had to make a lot of tough decisions. She, you know, her, I met with her the other day, actually, we're working on a local issue, and 57% of the budget is under her department. Imagine now, that. Didn't you, wasn't she in a Democratic administration before? Uh, yeah. Um, she goes way back in, in, in She the does. State. Yeah. Um, she had a lot to do with the Children's League. She had... She, DT, DTA or whatever it was called yeah. back then, she was a social worker and a nurse. Um, I can't remember what administration yeah. she was at. Yeah. But, you know, uh, her off, she hired good people around, which I thought. And the toughest two years of my life, whether it was in public service or not, were during COVID with the phone calls weren't just unbelievable. And, you know, between the feds and the, the state and changing things and unemployment, you know, her office was was fantastic. Uh, did we make mistakes? Absolutely. Well, that, that's human. Uh, you that's know, we. I don't know if we had much to go on except from the, the, the Spanish flu a hundred years ago. Um, yeah, we we better do better. Um, but the, you know, she, she also became the commander of COVID, so she had two roles. Um, I don't know how she made it. I would, you know, I just, you know, yeah, she there's things. She could have done better, maybe, uh, but. Uh, well, listen. Um, the, anyways, the, the people that make mistakes, yep. nobody's perfect, certainly, particularly. But she uh, was up front with us. That's yeah. what I wanted to end on. Yeah. Is you know, a lot of secretaries, even though we're in the legislature, push us, push us off. She <laughs> and her staff were no represent. We cannot do that. Well, I'm in the member of the legislature. This is why the others, like, yeah, we'll look into it. And never get back to you. So. I didn't agree with her on some things or her staff, but there was reason for yeah. it. Yeah. You mentioned the COVID as we've talked about uh, during the show, and the, the thing that's kind of paradoxical in, in one way, in its own uh, way, literally, it has it helped states like Massachusetts because uh, as difficult as, it, as things have been in business and in inter social interaction and, 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 and different types of businesses, the state has received at the, from the federal level an infusion of monies that normally they wouldn't have had available. Yeah, our upper funds. And that has been able to do a lot of things that you before would have been a hard, hard yeah. accomplishment because there just wouldn't be that much money around. Absolutely. Just, yeah, so In the schools as well. Yeah, yes. No. You know, it's good and bad because that money is going to run out. Yeah. And I'll give you a quick example. In the House version of the budget, we renewed universal free lunch. Okay, no matter what district, um, the feds covered it under COVID relief. The feds just let it expire. So we, you just can't go from all to nothing. So what we've decided to do for the next fiscal year is to carry it. And how much is that? Hundred and one million dollars. Okay. Now, I think our dilemma, and I know people, you know the. The papers, oh, this infusion of cash. There's reasons for the infusion of cash. But when that opera money runs out, how many federal programs or COVID programs or opera-funded programs are now going to expire? Will the state pick them up? And this was one. Now, I don't, I don't know if we can continue to do universal lunch, $100 million a year. 
Uh, if we do, we target it to inner cities again, like we were doing, like under Title I. You knew as mayor, what you, we would do free lunch programs. Um, but that's just one program. What about other programs that were part of the COVID relief federally that will disappear? I don't think any state, not just Massachusetts, will be able to do 100% of those. And if so, what at what cost? Because they're all important. So it's not like we want to pit school meals against transportation for seniors or you know housing vouchers or anything. They're all important, but at some point, we're not going to be able to carry those programs. So we may be cash-infused today. That money can go like that if we keep, because I don't think the feds are going to keep, they can't agree on anything, uh, keep funding those critical programs. Especially if you're going to have to raise taxes to get the money to maintain them, and that's yeah, and and, they, and they're not meant to be perpetuated forever. And then you know, there's a transitional time right. involved. So it gets us nervous. So yeah. What, well, you know, yeah. and so you enjoy the good times, but it has made it uh, an easier thing yes. to be able to be oh, yeah. uh, committed. From your perspective, um, um, there's been a scene in uh, recently. Um, not only are court cases or serious um, uh, situations occurring with younger and younger people. Mm -hmm. But there were, in fact, one was mentioned in the local newspaper a couple of weeks ago, or, or an elderly man from Malden was in Boston, and young people, which I think ended up as, yeah. they were under 15 years of age, there were three of them were girls and one boy, mm -hmm. and they literally uh, took his food off of, away from him and, at, a, at a fast food location. Yeah. And, and, uh, but that was more than just an isolated incident. It's, w w do you have any sense of why those kind of things are happening? No, I think, you know, I... I now you're a social worker, not a state representative when I asked you that No, question. but I'm, I'm going to be... And I was in the school system for many years, right. too, and in the prison system right. for six... Well, as a, an employee. Right. That's Let me make, make that, that clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a few things. I think one is... So I teach a course at Suffolk, so I get the the updates from the Suffolk police. And there was an incident a couple of weeks ago uh, in the Boston Common area that involved two Suffolk students who were assaulted by uh, individuals younger than them. And it was a rash of assaults by 15, 16 year olds. First of all, I, belie I, don't, I believe we've always had, unfortunately, assaults by younger people, older people, whatever. I think um, the media picks up on certain ones and makes certain ones an issue. Are crimes increasing? I'm sure absolutely. There's a few reasons. You're still seeing poverty in certain parts of the area. I think you're seeing a lot of social and emotional um, issues being locked in for a year or two. Ask a, ask a classroom teacher. You know, if you want to know anything about society, ask a classroom teacher in a traditional public school. They'll tell you what's going on. Uh, the poverty they deal with, the social and emotional issues. You have functional family. Yeah. So my niece and nephew, five, six years old. So when they were three and four and four and five, they had very limited preschool because they would go to the Y and then they would have to shut down because of COVID and stuff. So they had very little interaction. They were wild when they would come over to see my mother or, or me. And now they're in a traditional kindergarten and first grade classroom. They were not happy being told, you need to sit down. You need to have your placemat out. You need to sit on the reading room. What do you mean? I can run around and, you know, having them on a, on a screen at three and four years old to do a lesson, that's just impossible. And um, so they're still facing, I, I believe they're behind in reading. You know, they're behind in some other things um, because their parents had to work, you know, um, so to answer your questions, I think it's a, it's a variety of things. I think it's poverty. I think it's emotional things. I think, um, you know, what are the ramifications of doing such a thing? I think TikTok uh, and a lot of social media is adding to it because there was a TikTok event. There was like a, you know, one, I think it was a few months ago, oh, uh, they were doing this, not a bet, but a, you know, a, not a pledge, but I dare you to go up, stand up and go slap your teacher. That was a thing on TikTok, if you if you know what TikTok is. I know the name, yeah. and that's as much as and I know. And there's <laughs> stupid things like that, and kids are seeing this. And kids, about, kids are like sponges. 
right? And I think there's a lot of violence out there then. Um, so what we need in the schools, and we have the money for it, are your social workers. If we can find them, there's not a big, you know, we, we still have openings in Malden, and it's already May. You know, we're looking for behavior specialists, social workers, family coordinators. Um, we can't find them. School psychologists, it's guidance counselors. It, it's, it, there's, a, there's a shortage of employees going into the education and healthcare field. Mental health. We have nursing. Nursing. You know, look at mental health, behavioral health. We've underfunded that, unfortunately, for years. But now it's an issue. Of course it's an issue. Local public health. You were mayor. You know, sometimes when you we had didn't have any money then. Yeah, when you were, <laughs> when you had a cut, unfortunately, cut boards of health. Yeah. There's nothing more critical we've learned from COVID that local boards of health. Yeah, yeah. You well, also, you have uh, it seems public figures, uh, maybe at the college level, the sports level, whatever, suicides among young people. Mm. And, yeah, uh, it's astounding that. It's not only that would happen that someone that young would even contemplate that they, they would be in state of mind that they lost all hope for the future, but that these are people yep. that on the surface are successful yeah. in what they're doing at the college level. And yeah, I've gone to some trainings, teaching at Suffolk and Salem State, and you know, I, I even though I'm not required to as a visiting lecturer, but I try to go to some of these and the the, the school nurse or what the health. They run them, and there's been a lot of, uh, you know, sexuality issues, abuse at home, homelessness. I've had, even though they're going to college, they, and you say, well, if they can afford fifty thousand, they come from a good family. Well, some get financial aid. I had two two of my students living in a homeless shelter, and taking classes online. Um, so that's a that's isolation both ways. Yeah, in poverty and. Um, you know, I, I, there, there's so many external factors, and um, and you, you would think, oh, we're in a good economy. Yeah, inflation's high, and you know, we have these food trucks now, and we have all this money going into SNAP benefits. There's still a lot of poor people out there, and uh, Malden has their fair share of it, and I know it because we get the calls, and we're lucky we have s social service agencies, but, you know, I just... And I, I think, you know, behavioral health has a lot of external factors. And you're seeing a lot more stresses on students now, whether it's financial, sexual, uh, emotional. Um, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a lot different. And, and what I don't like is when I get people call, oh, you know, when I was growing up, yep, yep okay. Well, they just got to toughen up. Yeah, I, 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 it's a different world. It, it is a different world, and they do have a lot of stresses. And I teach, I try to teach a different grade every year, freshmen, seniors, just to get the, you know, I love learning from them. Yeah. And, and it makes my day, that one hour every week or two that I spend with them. And, um, and I taught online, and then I, taught in, I teach in person, and it's amazing what they're going through. The, the stress of debt that they're going to have, uh, the stress of finding the right job. The job market's changed, you know? Uh, what is it going to be like when they have to go back to the office and they've never been in the office? What do you mean I have to go in the office? What is uh, it well, <laughs> that's where your job is. Yeah, well, yeah. I can do it at home. Well, not. <laughs> you know? There was an article in the paper the other day that it is a high percentage of people that, that go through the screening process uh, and, and, and obviously potentially good positions mm. that get hired and literally don't show up Monday on the first day, even though they've been hired they've been they to start the orientation that Monday, whether they change their mind or they got a, they got a, their old job when they gave their notice, gave them such an right. impact. They don't even bother to call the new prospective business yeah. person and hire them. They just don't show up. Right. And all of a sudden it ends up that the, they, they, what they thought they hired, they, they're, they're at yeah. the beginning yeah. again. I've taught career development since I was teaching at Malden Catholic. Yeah. And, uh, and that was in 2001. And I taught at Suffolk a one-credit career evaluation. Yeah. And that was before COVID. I taught about 10 of those. I won't teach it now because 
I, I'm going to have to do some research on how the job market changed. <laughs> well, on that note, we're going to close out the okay. hour. And, you know, oh, I could talk to you for yeah, days. Well, well a couple so, of things we talked yeah. about, you could do it a whole hour. And, yeah, and I'm sorry about that. It's well, just, no, 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 no. Yeah. And that, that, that shows you this, how much goes on in your life as, yeah. a, as a person and also as a professional. Well, I love what I do, Mayor, and, um, you know, and I thank the people of the 33rd District for keeping me where I am. But I... I'm very fortunate to be in the position I am, and, and if I can help anyone, please reach out to my office. And he means Thank it. you. Thanks very much. Yeah, Steve. thank you, Matt. Yeah.